Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. And welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, I'm going to be jumping into part two of my UFC Columbus preview and prediction. So I've already gone through the preliminary card for this weekend's big fight night card. Now it is time for me to have a look at the main card. Super, super excited. Obviously, we had the UFC London card last weekend. And look, we have had pay-per-views in America with crowds, but... This is the first fight night back outside of the Apex in the US in front of a big crowd. So I'm really, really excited to see the crowds at fight nights going forward. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And this card should feel quite special. And look, it's not going to be as big as the UFC London card. But no doubt there's still going to be a big feel surrounding this card. As I said, I've already done the preliminary card. So today is all about jumping through the mains. If you'd like to go back and listen to the preliminary card, you can do that. It's literally the podcast, uh, one of the podcasts before this. Shouldn't be too hard to find. And look, if you want to support not just a sports report, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report. Pretty straightforward. And don't forget to follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. And you'll be able to see as soon as new UFC content drops. So... Look, it's going to be a great card. We've got the heavyweight main event between Curtis Blades and Chris Dorcas, but what better place to start than the first of our six fights on the main card, and that is our opener between lightweights Mark DeCasey and Slava Claus, Slava Borshev. Now, this is a fight I am very intrigued by. Look, I'm a fan of Slava Borshev. I predicted him to get the knockout in his last fight, and look, he, he was successful, so he's in my good graces. Slava Borshev has a fan in me. Really like what I see from him. And look, to Casey, uh, look, his last outing, I went for him as well. But he didn't get the job done for me. So look, very interested to see how DeCasey bounces back and how Slava Claus looks to continue his momentum. Should be a great fight. Of course, Slava is seeking his second win in 2022, so very active early this year. And I mean, a chance to pick up a second win in early 2022 can only mean good things. I mean, that gives him time to fight another one or two times throughout this calendar year. And if you can get out four fights in a year, uh, that that's a pretty impressive stat. Not a lot of fighters. Some do, but yeah, it's quite hard to get through four fights in a year. So Slava Claus, he is looking for his second win this year. Whilst for Jacasey, he only has two wins from his last seven appearances. So very, very concerning in terms of that stat. And I'll just quickly pull it up. I believe his last loss was that submission loss to Rafael Alves. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, I picked Jacasey to win by decision in that one. And he was submitted. He was submitted in the first round as well. So look, I was highly disappointed from Jacasey. He started his UFC career with so much momentum and so much promise, but look, that was quite a few years ago now, and 
he needs to turn things around pretty quickly because now there are younger, uh, just as talented fighters who are making their way through. And look, they're starting to take his his place in the division. So he needs to make a statement this weekend up against Slava. Only two wins from his last seven appearances, Jacasey. As for Slava, he is a Dana White Contender Series graduate. He was on last year's season, ended up getting the win and the contract, and followed that up with a very impressive win in his UFC debut with a body shot TKO over Dakota Harry Bush. That's what he calls himself. Uh, but yeah, Dakota Bush, look, a decent athlete, but Slava was just all over him. He was getting out of all of the takedowns, all of the grappling exchanges, and then Slava just nailed these really, really nasty body shots. That ended up being enough to drop his opponent and get the win. So look, he obviously hits fucking hard, and he only has seven fights on his record, but look, Slava has an extensive kickboxing record outside of his mixed martial arts record, so the seven fights does not tell anywhere near the true story of just how experienced and credentialed Slava Borshev really is. Now, jumping into the profile, Slava is 30 years old, representing the Team Alpha Male Gym, and nicknamed Slava Claws. So look, hopefully he can bring home another gift for UFC fans with a big finish. As for Mark Jacasey, the 29-year-old is known as Bone Crusher. He is fighting out of Doncaster, England, and representing American top team. At least that's what Wikipedia said. I didn't realize he was with uh, American top team, but I guess he is. I'll have to uh, fact check that. Fact checking myself so you don't have to do it for me. Now, in terms of the advantages, Mark is going to have the reach advantage. So, look, I think he can use that to his advantage. I'm sure this fight is going to be very striking heavy, but he's on a two-fight losing skid. So, look, what he has in reach, I think he loses in confidence and in momentum. As for Slava, he is on a four-fight winning streak, looking to extend that to five, uh, and yeah, to continue his push to be one of the exciting new names on the UFC roster. Now, just having a look at the pro records, and look, I was pretty sold that regardless of who Slava fought, I thought he could get the knockout in his next appearance, but here's a little stat. Having a look at Mark Jacasey's record, now, his record overall, 14 and 5, but from his five losses, Mark has never been knocked out. So look, that is no doubt Slava's specialty, but Mark Jacasey still yet to be knocked out across 19 pro fights. So look, now all of a sudden, I definitely am wary about going that direction. Now, Jacasey, from his five losses, he's lost three times by uh, decision, and he's lost twice by submission. That was including Mark's last appearance up against Rafael Elvez being submitted in the first round. As for Casey's wins, he has 14 of them, 50% by decision, so he's no stranger to going the distance in a fight. That, look, initially I thought this was going to end in a knockout, but there are a lot of signs pointing toward this one going the full 15 minutes. So Jacasey, 50% of his wins by decision, seven decision wins, six knockouts, and one submission. So look, he's equally as dangerous with the knockouts uh, in terms of his striking, 
but the last knockout win that Jacasey had was in 2017 to give you an idea of kind of form line. And it's been a hot minute since Mark Jacasey has really shown us what he can do. Of course, he had a crazy knockout that was his last one. He got the knockout in only 30 seconds in England in the first round. So look, that was a big moment from him, from him, but 2017 starting to feel like quite a while ago now. So it's been a hot minute since Jacasey has picked up a knockout win, but the same cannot be said for his opponent Slava. Slava Borshev has 5 knockout wins from 6 overall career victories. So look, he knows how to get the finish. Only one decision victory in Borshev's career. In terms of his one career loss in MMA, he has um, one decision. So yet to be stopped himself. Neither of these guys have ever been knocked out. They're both going up against guys who I guess you could say their specialty is striking and looking for that knockout finish. And uh, there's something that tells me this is going to go the full 15 minutes, but five of six wins for Slava by knockout. And in terms of my prediction for this UFC Columbus main card opener in the lightweight division. Look, for not the first time on this card, I'm going to be picking someone who's never been knocked out to get knocked out. Now, earlier, I went in the prelims, Dinar Bakgarel, to hand Chris Gutierrez his first knockout loss of his career. And look, I think it's going to be the same here. I'm probably going to do a double chance bet because there is... Something that is telling me, like, this is going to go the 15 minutes. But look, Slava Claus, you're my guy. Uh, so is Dinar Bakgarel. I'm really a huge fan of both. So, look, this is a little test. I'm already on the hype train. And if Slava can get the knockout, then fucking hell. I'm jumping in the passenger seat of the hype train. Like, I am all aboard. So, look, regardless of the result, I'm a huge fan of Slava. But this is a little test. I'm marking this one down as a test for someone that I am keeping a close eye on. I think he can beat Jacasey, but if he can knock him out, then the trajectory of his career is going to skyrocket. That is something Slava can put on his resume that nobody else can. So in the end, in this lightweight opener, I am taking Slava Borshev over Mark Jacasey, and I'm taking him by knockout. I'm going to go for him to hand Jacasey his first ever career knockout. I'll be watching this one with a vested interest. As I said, look, there's a high chance this one goes the full 15, but if it doesn't and there's a knockout there for one of these guys, then it's going to be Slava in my opinion. I just haven't seen enough from Mark Jacasey in the last like five years to suggest anything else. So look, I'm going to be taking Slava Borshev by knockout. If you want to do a safer bet, I'd suggest knockout or decision, double chance bet. But look, i got to make an official prediction. i got to put one method in there. There are no double chances in the preview and predictions podcast. And that's why I've gone Slava Borshev by knockout. So let's move on now, shall we, to some big boppers. Some big hosses, throwing hands, probably grappling as well, given that that is a specialty of both of them. We've got Ilya Latifi up against Alexi Olinik. I mean, Olinik, unbelievable when you look at his professional record. Not just the amount of fights that he's had, uh, but the wins. 
And look, I'll get to this when I go through the professional records, but the winning rate for Alexi, or Alexi, sorry, my apologies, by submission is insane. The amount of submission wins this guy has is more than most of these fighters on the roster have combined career fights. Or well, not combined altogether, fuck me. That'd be a bit. But, uh, like, yeah, he's got more submissions than a lot of the people in the UFC have fights. So Alexi Olinik up against Alir Latifi, two veterans battling in the heavyweight division. Now, Latifi, he only just returned to heavyweight in the last couple of years, hasn't had a whole lot of uh, high activity, but Latifi is coming off a decision win over Tanner Boza last year. I believe that was split decision as well. As for Alexi, he is coming off the back of three straight losses. So, look, he's been around for a long, long time. I don't, I don't think he's going to make a run for the heavyweight title belt. But still, three straight losses. He'll want to get a win here just to, you know, you don't want to keep losing, especially when you're this close to the end of your career. But every time Olenek steps into the octagon, win, lose, or draw, it is always such an honor to watch him fight, just given how much he has given to the sport. Uh, it's crazy. But I'll jump to his record a bit later on. Just going through the three straight losses for Alexi Olenek. He lost to Sergei Spivak. Derek Lewis, and Chris Dorcas, who is in tonight's main event. So that is three straight losses for Olenek. And for Latifi, he may have won his last fight, but he does have three losses in his last four appearances. So that most recent win was to break a three-fight losing streak of his own. So look, it's fair to say these two veterans, highly skilled, highly talented, but it seems as though their best may be behind them. This weekend will be a great chance for them to prove, hey, like, look, we may not be in our prime, but we still have plenty left to offer. So should be a very interesting fight. As for the profiles, Alexi Olinik is 44 years old, nicknamed the Boa Constrictor. Um, that, yeah, when I get to a submission record, you'll understand why. Just unbelievable. As for Ilya Latifi, nicknamed the Sledgehammer, and the 39-year-old is from Sweden and representing the All-Stars Training Center. The height and reach is going to be in favor of Olenek, but it's hard to t it's tricky to tell how these guys are going to match up. I think striking-wise, Latifi will have the advantage, whilst I think in the grappling and in the submissions, I think Olenek is going to have kind of the advantage, so... It's going to be all about who can dictate the pace of the fight. And look, a lot of heavyweights don't usually go 15 minutes, but these are two guys who are capable of going through a full 15-minute contest. So that is something I'm definitely considering, a separate bet of will the fight go the distance? Yes, but uh, it's always tricky. I'm always hesitant to go for a decision in the heavyweights because, yeah, these guys obviously are at more of an elite level, but sometimes, you know, if there's not a finish and it gets to the third round, like, they tire out real quick. So most of the time, I kind of think that there are going to be a finish or is going to be a finish throughout heavyweight fights, but this one, there definitely is a chance of it going the distance. Jumping onto the professional records now, and I'll start with Alexi Olenek since I was talking so much uh, about his record. Now, 76 career fights. 76. This guy has been in 76 sanctioned 
MMA fights. That's not even counting like other fights. I know like Muay Thai fighters and such fight way more, but like mixed martial arts, very, very intense. Olinic has been around since 1996, the same year I was born. He has been fighting since the same year I was born. So my entire life, this guy has been fighting. Uh, he's fought against some of the toughest competition in the world as well. So unbelievable. I actually, I hadn't realized, I didn't check exactly when he started. 1996. That's mind-boggling. Now, 76 fights over his career. He has had one draw, but 59 wins, 16 losses. And let me jump to the 59 wins first. From 59 wins, Olenek has eight knockouts, five decisions, but get this. This is the key stat every time Olenek fights. 46. You heard that right. 46 submissions from 59 wins. Who the fuck else in the UFC or the MMA that is even like remotely relevant to the UFC has 46 submissions on their resume? Like that is just unbelievable. 76 fights, 46 submission wins. So like well over half of his career wins, of of his career results, including losses, just every fight, 46 submission wins. That is no doubt the key stat. And just every time I see that, I'm like, my fucking brain, what the fuck? So 46 submissions, I'll say that one more time. Just when else am I going to say that? 46 submission wins. As for the losses for Olenek, he's been knocked out nine times. He's only been submitted twice, so his submission record is 46 wins, two losses, and the decisions, five apiece, five decision wins, five decision losses, but yeah, no doubt, look, I don't want to keep sitting here for the next 20 minutes being like, 46 submission wins, but like, holy shit, like, fully holy shit. Now, having a look at Aaliyah Latifi's record... He has never been submitted. So 24 fights in his career, never been submitted. What a fucking grouse stylistic matchup. Uh, There are heaps throughout the card. If you listened to my preliminary podcast, you'll realize like every fight on the prelims is an outstanding matchup stylistically. This one, the same. I mean, the 46... Up against no career losses by submission for Latifi. He has been knocked out four times and he's lost by decision four times. So eight career losses altogether for Latifi with an overall record of 15 and 8. Now, Alexei Olenek, he had been knocked out nine times. That's the most uh, in terms of methods that he's lost by. And looking at Latifi's record, he has won the most by knockout. So six knockout wins. Which means that the stylistic matchup, I think, favors Latifi in this case. Six knockout wins for Latifi, four submissions, and five decision wins. So, look, it's hard to get my head around exactly how this is going to go, especially given that these guys aren't in their prime and they aren't coming off the back of like really strong form. So, uh, this one, it feels 
like whatever way I'm I go, it's probably going to go the opposite way. But look, I have to make a prediction. I'm very torn as to whether this goes the full 15 minutes. I was this close. You can't see my hands, but like gesture very close. This close to going for Latifi by decision. But in the end, look, I think the Columbus crowd are going to play a factor. They're going to be fired up. And I think them being in the heavyweight division as well just makes me more inclined to pick a finish. So that is exactly what I'm going to do. With not a ton of confidence, I'm going to be taking Alia Latifi in this heavyweight clash over Alexi Olenek. And I'm going to be taking Alia Latifi to get it done by knockout. That's already what I was thinking before I was looking at the records and working out their wins and losses. But I don't know. There was something that was leaning me toward Ilya Latifi. And I'm going to stick with that. So Latifi by knockout. That is two fights so far on the opener. I'm predicting both to end in knockout. So if that is the case, it should be an unreal start to the card. But there's another four great fights to get into. So let's move on. Latifi by knockout. Let's now jump into our next fight on the card. Alrighty, let's jump in now to the fight that I'm actually probably most excited for this weekend, given that someone I'm a huge fan of, my fellow countryman, my fellow Kiwi representing New Zealand, Kai Kara France, up against Askar Askarov in a fight that has very much big title implications. Both men are right on the cusp of a title shot, so this should be a very intriguing fight in the flyweight division. We've got Kaikar of France, who is in the form of his life. Two consecutive first-round knockouts over Rogerio Bontarin and Cody Garbrandt. Now, that was a big one. Garbrandt, if he won that, supposedly he was going to get a flyweight title shot. So, look, I think Kaikar of France, when he knocked Garbrandt out and was calling for a title shot, look, like he was within his rights to do so, but... I thought it was a little bit premature to call for a title shot, given that there are guys in front of him, one of them being Askar Askarov. So this shapes as a hugely pivotal clash in terms of the whole landscape of the flyweight division. We've got the number two ranked flyweight Askar Askarov up against Kaikara France, who sits at number six. He won't just be looking to break into the top five. He's going to be looking to break into the top three. And when you're in the top three, then all of a sudden you are in pole position to get yourself that title shot. Having a look at the profiles, Kai Don't Blink, Kara France, recently been living up to that nickname. Don't Blink is more than true. I mean, Cody Garbrandt, fucking, if you blinked, you would have missed that. Garbrandt was showing him no respect either, which I think is a different aspect to Askar Askarov. I think he's going to be showing a lot more respect, taking Kai Kara France a lot more seriously. Kai is 28 years old, representing City Kickboxing, and he is from Auckland, New Zealand. As for Askar Askarov, nicknamed Bullet, he is 29 years old and from Dagestan, Russia. Gee whiz, fucking... Don't people from Dagestan know how to fight? I definitely wouldn't be running my mouth over there. And Askar Askarov is from the Fighting Eagles gym. Looking at the advantages, the striking, in my opinion, will go toward Kai, whilst the wrestling and submission game leans towards Askarov. So I think this is going to be a really close contest. Obviously, Askarov has planned to come in and wrestle, 
And look, Kaikara France, to his credit, has come out and said, bring it on. You can try and wrestle me all you want. So stylistically, this should make for a very interesting clash. And Kaikara France is going to have the slight reach advantage, which look, that even small reach advantage will help him a lot because if he can just get that tiny bit of distance and find the perfect range, then he's shown he can knock out some of the elite talents in the UFC. Askar Askarov, definitely an elite talent in his own right. It's going to be very, very hard to knock him out. Nobody ever has. Nobody's even defeated Askarov, so to knock him out would be a very big deal. I think if Kai can do that, then he will be right in position for a title shot. It looks like they're going to do the moreno Figueredo rematch um, about middle of this year. And then Alexandre Pantoja. He looks like he's destined to get the next shot. You've got guys like Brandon Royval as well, who is floating around that contender status. So, look, really interesting. But if Kaikara France wants a title shot this year, the best way to do that is to knock Askar Askarov out cold. Now, looking at their pro records, Kai's is 23 wins, 9 losses, and 1 no contest, with Don't Blink's overall UFC record standing at 6 wins and 2 losses. As for Askarov, he has competed in 15 pro fights with 14 wins and one draw. So nobody has beaten Askar Askarov undefeated, definitely. But look, that draw is a bit of a blemish on his record. But let's not forget that that draw was up against Brandon Moreno. So look, Askarov is absolutely up there with the best of the best in this division. And I will be... Very interested to see whether Kaikara France can find a way to defeat him. Nobody has so far. Let let that be remembered. Nobody has figured out a way to beat Askarov yet. Whereas Askarov has nine losses across Kai's career that he can go back and study and see ways of like where Kai could potentially be vulnerable. Whereas Askarov hasn't had a heap of moments throughout fights where he's looked very vulnerable. So... Very, very interesting in terms of that going forward. Now, looking at Askarov's wins, 7 of 14 have been by submission. So 50% of Askarov's wins by submission, 7 subs, 4 knockouts, and 3 decisions on his resume. Uh, it's clear that Askarov, not only is he going to be looking for the wrestling, but whilst Kaikara France is going to be looking to knock him out, Askarov is going to be looking to tap Kai out. So stylistically, it's going to be very interesting watching them both try to impose different techniques and different strategies throughout the fight. Having a look at Kai Kara France's losses, he has lost three times from his nine losses by submission. So look, that is absolutely an area for concern. Kai's also been knocked out twice and he's lost four times by decision. As for Kai's wins, 11 of his wins have been by way of knockout. So look, he is a knockout specialist, but he also knows how to grind out a 15-minute decision win with nine decisions on his winning record. So overall, Kai has 11 knockouts, three submission wins, and nine decisions. Look, this is the fight that I am most excited for this weekend. And before I make my prediction, let me make it clear. I am going to be cheering on Kai Kara of France to the hills. I put money on him to knock Cody Garbrandt out. I even did a second bet where I put money on him to knock Garbrandt out in the first round. So look, 
Kaikara France, he's won me some money. He is representing my home country. And look, I couldn't be a bigger fan. He is my favorite in the flyweight division. But, and there's a but, unfortunately, uh, and not not the good kind of but, uh, the bad kind of but. So Askarov just seems too damn good. He seems like he's not going to stop beating people until he gets that title shot. And even then, I think he is going to be fairly hard to beat. So look, reluctantly, my prediction for this flyweight clash, I'm going to take Askar Askarov by decision. There's there's also something inside me where I'm like, unfortunately envisioning a pretty quick submission victory where he's going to tap Kai out. But look, I'm, I'm going to be chairing for Kai, so I'm not going to be putting him down to get finished. I want him to win. Let that be known. I want Kai Kara France to walk out of there this weekend, having defeated the number two ranked flyweight and putting himself right in the frame for a title shot. Look, it's li- it's there. there is a chance. There's, it's very likely, in fact. Like, I don't think he's a super, super underdog. Like, I think this will be very close. But ultimately, Askar Askarov just seems too damn good. I hope I'm wrong, but my prediction for this flyweight clash, I'm going to be taking Askar Askarov by decision. All right, let's move on from my hometown hero to this weekend's hometown hero, Matt Brown performing in front of a hot Columbus crowd for the first fight night with fans back on United States soil since the COVID pandemic. We've got Matt Brown up against Brian Bam Bam Barbarena in welterweight action. As I said, the hometown hero this weekend is going to be Matt Brown fighting in front of the Ohio crowd. That is where he's from. He is fighting out of Columbus, Ohio, so no doubt he is going to get one of the biggest pops of the night. Having a look at the narratives, now this fight was originally set to take place in December, uh, but unfortunately Matt Brown couldn't make the date. Now I think this is a potential fight of the night. Both guys are going to be coming out with intent to get it done within the 15 minutes, so I think we're going to see some pretty crazy action. Both guys are fairly durable as well. So yeah, this is going to be an absolute classic, at least I hope so. Now, Brown contemplated retiring after he dropped two straight fights, but he decided to keep on going and rebounded strongly with a second round TKO win in June 2020 over Diego Lima. As for Brian Barbarena, he had some severe injury setbacks, but despite that, he managed to return to action, and in his last outing, Brian Barbarena defeated... Darian Weeks by unanimous decision. So look, interesting form line. I had uh, Barbarena to win that last fight by knockout. So to be honest, when I was watching it, I was like, come on. But look, I mean, it's easy to say from the couch to actually get in there and do it is a different story. But no doubt that's what both guys are going to be looking for this weekend, the big knockout. And look, I'm wondering, is this going to be Matt Brown's last fight? kind of makes sense look I don't know whether he wants to stop fighting but why not go out in front of a hot hometown crowd that are cheering you on it's even better if you can get the win uh so yeah that is definitely something that I've been thinking about that we may be seeing Matt Brown enter the octagon for the very last time this weekend was gonna say first time it definitely isn't Matt Brown's first rodeo but could it be his last 
Now, the man known as the Immortal is 41 years old. He is fighting out of Columbus, Ohio, so no doubt big cheers coming his way this weekend. And Matt is representing the Immortal Martial Arts Gym. As for Brian Barbarena, the 32-year-old is nicknamed Bam Bam, and he is representing Jim O. Stylistically, this is going to be an absolute barn burner, a genuine banger. I'm, as I said, expecting a fight of the night contender. And look, there's a 6cm reach advantage for Matt Brown, which I think he can use that. Sometimes the reach doesn't mean a great deal, but in this fight, where they are going to be throwing hands, no doubt, I actually think this is very favourable for the immortal Matt Brown. Now, looking at kind of a recent form guide, or semi-recent, Matt Brown has 7 losses in his last 11 fights, so that is kind of what leads me to believe that maybe this is it this weekend. He is 41 years of age, 7 losses in his last 11 fights, so look, doesn't look like he's going to make a run into the top 15 and for that belt. Uh, so very interesting, and look, let's let's all appreciate Matt Brown and Brian, Brian Barbarena, but look, like... Whether this is or isn't Matt Brown's final walk to the uh, Undergone, whatever that is, uh, if this is his final walk, then let's just appreciate what a great career it's been and that we're getting one last show, but I honestly have no idea on his contractual status. He could be planning uh, to do like an Alexei Olenek fight for ages more. Uh, Andre Olovsky, look, there are guys who fight until they yeah, can't fight anymore, so that could be Matt Brown, but... I just, I don't know, something, I haven't checked whether he's got more fights on his contract, but something just tells me that it feels right for Matt Brown to get that win and then call it a day in front of his home crowd. But look, it's not up to me to decide at all. That is up for Matt Brown to decide and the matchmakers as well. Now, look, Matt Brown hasn't been the only one who's had a bit of a mixed bag in terms of form. Brian Barbarena has three losses in his last five appearances, so neither guy is setting the world alight in terms of their form, but look, that doesn't take anything away from this fight. If anything, it's going to make them hungrier to get that win, and look, this is one of the fights on the main card most definitely to look forward to. Jumping on to the professional records now, starting with Brian Barbarena, with an overall record standing at 16 wins, and eight losses so not the most enviable record to be honest but mm, look he's in the UFC he's fucking pretty decent to have made it there in the first place but um overall overall not the best to be honest I mean looking at his form in the UFC since debuting in 2014 Barbarina has gone win loss win win loss win Loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win. So he's really struggled to get any kind of consistency together. Uh, it has been a long time since he has had back-to-back -back wins. The last time he got two wins in a row, 2016. So it's been a long-ass time. 16 wins, eight losses for Barbarina. In terms of his eight losses, five of eight have been by decision. So the only three times Barbarina has been stopped Across 24 fights, he's lost twice by knockout, and he has lost once by submission. Now, the it was up against pretty high-level opponents. He lost by knockout to Randy Brown and also Vicente Luque. 
And his submission loss was to a fella called Derek Smith. So less high quality opposition there, but that was back in 2010 in Barbarina's third pro fight. So look, he's had a pretty decent run. He did only have one fight as an amateur MMA fighter. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty intrigued as to what Barbarina has to offer. But look, his record, not the best um, just on the eye. But look, it's going to be a knockout fight, as I said. Looking at Barbarina's wins, 10 of his 16 wins by knockout, 2 submissions and 4 decisions. But Barbarina is a knockout specialist, 10 wins by knockout. And look, he's not the only one who's a knockout specialist. Matt Brown has 15 of his 23 career wins by knockout. That is absolutely his specialty as well. That's what leads me to believe if we don't see a really quick finish in this one, then I think we could be in for fight of the night. Overall, across 41 fights, Matt Brown's record stands at 23 wins and 18 losses. So similarly, not the best record on the eye. That is no disrespect to either of these fighters. I tell you what, my record, my professional record would not be in favor of wins. Probably be 1-0 and then, yeah. I'd call it a day. So look, no disrespect to either fighter, but yeah, having a look at their professional records, definitely not the most enviable. So overall from Matt Brown's wins, 15 knockouts, six submissions and two decisions. So that's pretty incredible. 21 of Matt Brown's 23 wins have been stoppage finishes. So look, I wouldn't be looking for him to win by decision here. Although look, I think there is a chance that this one does go all three rounds. Having a look at Matt Brown's losing record. And look, there is a clear weakness here. 10 of his 18 losses by submission. But this is mainly going to be a fight that takes place on the feet. Maybe we do see Brian Barbarina try and exploit this and go for the submission. But 10 of 18 losses by submission for Matt Brown. As well as 5 decisions and 3 knockout losses. So he's only been knocked out 3 times across 41 fights. That is the job Brian Barbarena is going to have on his hands this weekend. And as far as my prediction goes, for this welterweight fight, should be a huge one, especially given the fact that Matt Brown is going to have a lot of crowd support, probably as much as anyone, if not more, across the entire card. So look, I can't go past Matt Brown. I am a little bit concerned, given that he is at the very back end of his career, and I can see Brian Barbarena getting the win, this one's a bit of a danger matchup for me. Like, I will bet on it, but this is one that I'm very cautiously going to bet on. But look, I have to make a prediction for the podcast. So let's get through it. My prediction for this welterweight fight, I'm going to be taking Matt Brown to get the knockout in his hometown over Brian Barbarena. So taking Matt, the immortal Brown, or mortal? Uh, immortal Brown by knockout in this contest. I think it should be a lot of fun. And yeah, I think this one I could get burnt. I can see Brian Barbarena getting the win, even if that is a decision win. But ultimately, I'm going to go with Matt the Immortal Brown. And look, it wouldn't be a Matt Brown win without a great knockout. So that's how I'm going to take him to win. Matt Brown by knockout. Let's move on now to what should be a fantastic co-main event. And co-headlighting this card are... Two female flyweights that I love watching in action, specifically Alexa Grasso. I'm a huge fan of hers, but look, no doubt Joanne Wood versus Alexa Grasso in this co-headliner is going to be a great contest. 
both women looking to work their way into the top five. For Joanne Wood, look, she's been around title contention for quite some time now. But look, a two-fight losing skid has totally hampered Joanne's momentum. Having a look at the rankings, Joanne is in at number seven, whilst Grasso is ninth. So two top ten competitors in a very important fight for the flyweight division going forward. Now, as I said, Joanne Wood is on a two-fight losing slide with losses in three of her past four fights as well. Things are different, though, for Alexa Grasso. She is on a wave of momentum, going back-to-back with two decision wins since moving up to flyweight. Having a look at the profiles, Alexa Grasso, 28 years old, and the Mexican is representing Lobo Jim. And as far as the style goes, Alexa Grasso is a boxer, so I'm very excited to see what kind of striking she can come up with here. And look, I think she can cause Joanne Wood some issues, although Joanne is one of the most durable females in the entire promotion. Speaking of Joanne, nicknamed Jojo, the Scottish native is 35 years old, representing Syndicate MMA. And look, her style is a Muay Thai style, so I think we're going to see some really fun striking here. And some people may not think this is a giant co-main event, but look, I actually am a huge fan of this as far as co-main events go. We've seen some in recent times in the Apex that, no offense, some of them have been a little bit lackluster. I think this is going to be a very exciting fight. And there's a reason it's been placed on a very important card, the first fight night on United States soil with crowds since COVID. So... Look, Dana White, obviously, you saw with UFC London, they have stacked these cards, they've stacked these fight nights with the intentions of saying fight nights are back. So, look, this co-main event, I think, is going to exceed a lot of people's expectations. Now, in terms of their last fights, Joanne Wood lost by submission in round one to Talia Santos, whilst Grasso got a decision win over Macy, the future barber. So, Different runs, different journeys that bring them to these points, but Joanne Wood has been taking on the elite of the division for quite a few years now, same as when she was at strawweight. So, look, her losses have been against the best in the division, but no doubt different journeys, different spots in the top 10, but it all comes together this weekend as both of them look to make a claim, state their claim for a spot in the top five. Now, looking at the professional records, Alexa Grasso overall, 13 wins and 3 losses, whilst Joanne Wood's record stands at 15 wins and 7 losses. Joanne's 7 losses include 4 submission defeats and 3 decisions, so in 22 fights, nobody has managed to knock Joanne Wood out. Uh, Look, Alexa Grasso, she is capable, but Joanne Wood, if some of the fighters she's been up against over the last few years haven't been able to knock her out, then I think it may be a pretty tough ask to expect Alexa Grasso to get it done. So no knockout losses, but four of Joanne's seven losses coming by way of submission. In terms of Wood's wins, 15. Nine of 15 have been by decision, so Joanne Wood very much a decision specialist. But if she's going to chase the stoppage, then knockout is her preferred victory. Uh, with one-third of her wins coming by way of knockout. So overall, nine decision wins, five knockout wins, and one submission for Joanne Wood. Over to Alexa Grasso now, having a look at her losses. Only three of them. She's been submitted once. 
she also hasn't ever been knocked out. So look, Alexa Grasso, Joanne Wood, both of them are going to be looking to knock each other out most likely, but neither of them have been knocked out uh, over, 45, uh, over 40 fights combined. So look, it looks likely that this one's going to decision. Grasso's three losses, including two decision losses and one submission. As far as Alexis wins, she is also a decision specialist. Women's flyweight is in a division that's known for, um, you know, big knockouts. I, I say that and then it's like, every time I say that, I think that it's like, what about last weekend? Meatball Molly in the flyweight division delivering a fucking huge knockout, potentially knockout of the year. So immediately uh, I backtrack on that. But for the most part, women's flyweight is not known for big knockouts. Nine of 13 wins for Grasso coming by decision with four knockouts on her resume as well. Look, I've bet against a couple of people this weekend that have never been knocked out and I've gone for them to lose by knockout. I feel that three is just that little bit too much, really pushing it. So I think this one's going to go to decision. And as far as the winner, I'm going to be backing in Alexa Grasso. I'm a big fan. I do think there is every chance that Joanne walks away this weekend with her hand raised. But look, I'm going to go in a very tight contest with Alexa Grasso by decision. And yeah, this co-main event, as I said, I think it's going to exceed people's expectations. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And ultimately, that is what I've got down. I have Alexa Grasso over Joanne Wood by decision, moving Grasso potentially into that sixth or seventh spot in the rankings and bringing her one step closer to a shot at the title with probably one or two high big name opponents. Well, they won't be high. I was going to say high level, big name opponents um, before she probably gets that shot. But the first of those big opponents is Joanne Wood, who has been a fixture of the rankings since the flyweight division's inception. Uh, and look, if she can get the win over Joanne Wood, then that is going to move her closer to the belt. But look, Joanne Wood, if she had won a couple of those fights she lost, then it would have been her who fought for the belt. But she was unlucky like when she lost to Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy then went on to challenge for the belt. Uh, and there's been a couple of other times as well. So look, Joanne Wood, she knows that time is of the essence. I'm expecting her best effort this weekend, but yeah, not with heaps of confidence, but I'm going to take Alexa Grasso by decision. Uh, and it's hard to tell exactly how it's going to play out, but this is preview and predictions. I've done the preview. What's a preview and predictions without the prediction, right? So Grasso by decision in the co-main event, which leaves us with only one fight left to get into, and that is our heavyweight main event, UFC Fight Night Columbus. Fuck, it is going to be good. And headlining this card, we have Curtis Razorblades up against Chris Dorcas. We'll try and jump through this fairly quickly as uh, it's 1am now, so the card actually starts in six hours. Uh, quote me. Oh yeah, I'm going to go to bed. I'll get up early for the fucking first prelim. Uh, look, I will still get up early, but going to be a little bit tougher. But let's talk about the biggest fight on the card, not just physically, um, but in terms of importance. This is the main event for a motherfucking reason. It is a very important heavyweight fight. Not sure exactly what's going to happen with the heavyweight division. I mean, they're not going to get rid of it, obviously, but Francis Ngannou going to be out. I don't know if he's going to fight again this year. 
Do we see another interim title fight? There is a lot of movement in the heavyweight division as well. We've seen Tai Tuivasa and Tom Aspinall really put their names forward as guys who could fight for the belt or fight for an interim belt. So look, now it is an opportunity for both Curtis Blades and Chris Dorcas to really put their name forward. Now, Curtis is in the better place to do so, given that he is ranked number four in the top 15. Uh, the only guys behind, in front of him, sorry, are Tai Tuivasa, Stipe, and Cyril Garn. As for the number nine ranked Chris Dorcas, he's going to be aiming to stay inside the top 10. There are a heap of hungry individuals looking to claim that spot. Dorcas knows that he has to win to retain his spot in the top 10. But not only that, Dorcas is going to be eyeing off a spot in the top five with a win here, which would be really, really interesting. Um, maybe he slots into fifth position, just given that Derek Lewis is currently there and Derek Lewis only very recently knocked him out. But no doubt, a spot in the top five could be beckoning for Chris Dorcas here. Now, in 2021, both of these men had brutal, especially Curtis Blades, brutal knockout losses to Derek Lewis. So he got the better of both of these men last year. And look, he halted some serious streaks. Dorcas was on a five-fight win streak and Curtis was on a four-fight win streak. Derek Lewis ended both of those streaks with fucking vicious knockouts. So look, both of those guys weren't able to get past Derek Lewis. Look, not a lot of people can, but Taito Avasa did. That is why he is in the number three position. Now, Dorcas, his fight against Lewis was his most recent. That was in December. I think it might have even been the last card of the year. Whilst Blades, he has fought since his loss to Lewis, responding well with a unanimous decision win over Jarzinho Rosenstrike. I especially enjoyed that performance. Actually, I enjoyed both of these guys' last performances as I'm a fan of Dorcas, but I had money on Derek Lewis to win by knockout, and I had money on Blades to beat Jarzinho by decision. So look, pretty happy in terms of their last outings, and form-wise in terms of my picks with these guys... They seem to be somewhat on point. Now, looking at the profiles, Chris Dorcas, 32 years old, from Philadelphia. And the former cop is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with serious knockout power. Dorcas will be representing Martinez BJJ. As for Curtis Razor Blades, the 31-year-old is an incredibly talented wrestler, one of the best in the heavyweight division, uh, I would say, if not the best, but let's not forget that Stipe is still sitting in the number two position. Blades will be representing Elevation Fight Team and fighting out of Chicago, Illinois. Another interesting stat here is that Curtis Blades is going to have over 10 centimeters in reach in terms of the advantages. So I definitely think that's a big advantage for Curtis Blades. Now, looking at their professional records, Blades overall 15 wins three losses and one no contest, while Dorcas sits at 12 wins and four losses. Now, having a look, I'm going to mainly look at one method here, and that is the knockout. You'll understand why in a moment. Now, looking at Curtis Blades and his wins, 10 of his 15 wins have been by knockout. Now, three of Dorcas's four losses have been by knockout. So look, it looks like if Blades is going to beat Dorcas, he does it by knockout. And it's the same if you turn things around. Now, Chris Dorcas, 11 of his 12 wins by knockout, and all three of Blade's losses 
have come via knockout. So, look, I can maybe they go the five rounds, but highly unlikely. I think Curtis Blades could, uh, but I just don't see this one going 25 minutes. And looking at the records, it seems like if this is going to stop, it's going to be stopped by a knockout, which is exciting for fans. Hopefully, whichever competitor gets knocked out, if one of them do, hopefully they're fit, they're healthy, they're all good to go, uh, and it's not too brutal, but... Look, it seems like a knockout is on the cards here. Such an important heavyweight fight. As for how it plays out, look, it's going to be very interesting. I can see Curtis Blades just out-wrestling Chris Dorcas um, and using his gas tank to just really tire Dorcas. But it's it's hard to tell. All it takes is one punch, especially from Dorcas. Like, we've seen Chris Dorcas really shut some people's lights out. So, look, it's, it could be a very close one. The market, in terms of the betting, has Curtis Blades as the heavy favorite. Now, going into this, I was favoring Curtis Blades as well. But definitely do not sleep on Chris Dorcas. It's going to be an incredible heavyweight main event. UFC Columbus, the card, is only six hours away from starting. So I cannot wait to sit down and watch it. I'm going to be watching it alongside JJ and we'll be releasing our usual thoughts and comments podcast as we go through each of the fights, give some thoughts and comments both pre and post fight. But look, before we get to thoughts and comments, I have a main event result to predict in this main event of UFC Columbus in what should be a cracking card. Very much looking forward to it. I'm going to be taking Curtis Blades over Chris Dorcas. As I said, I think this one's going to end in knockout. So I'll be taking Blades over Dorcas by knockout. Now, I don't necessarily think that's going to be a big standing one punch knockout. I think maybe it could be more likely to be like on the ground and like a TKO. But look, the prediction covers the whole method of a knockout. It doesn't matter whether it's technical or just a straight knockout. And look, I think Curtis Blades, he's the number four ranked heavyweight for a reason. He's a little bit closer to title contention than Dorcas is, which would totally change, of course, if Dorcas gets the win. But ultimately, there are levels to the game. Chris Dorcas, whilst he is very much deserving of a top 10 spot in the heavyweight division, I still think uh, that he's not quite at top 5 level yet. And that's yet, because he actually, along with Tom Aspinall, he and Dorcas were the two ones in the heavyweight division over the last couple of years or after over the last year, especially that I've been keeping a really, really close eye on. I was actually planning to be betting on Dorcas for quite some time, but then he came up against Derek Lewis and uh, yeah, that, I just had different feelings about that. But overall, I'm a big fan of both guys, but I think Curtis Blades is going to have that little bit too much. He knows that he is right there when it comes to being in the conversation for what could be an interim heavyweight title fight. But even when you think of some of the names like Stipe, John Jones, and now even Taito Avasa, who's come from nowhere, and someone like Tom Aspinall. So look, a lot of potential matchups for Curtis Blades if he wins. And if he can get it done, then no doubt he is right there along with the elite of the elite in the division. And Curtis Blades, you won't be able to have a conversation about championship contenders, especially if Nganu isn't active for quite some time. You are not going to be able to have a conversation about title contenders without mentioning Curtis Blades, should he get the win here this weekend. 
And then that's what I'm picking. I'm picking Curtis Blades over Chris Dorcas by knockout in this UFC Columbus main event. Overall, I'm hoping my picks go well. As I said, myself and JJ will be sitting down to review all the action. But look, ultimately, I'm just very, very keen to sit down for a fight night. And look, I love the Apex. I think it's been a great, great product. They haven't really lost anything from having it in the Apex. But there's just something about having the crowd there, especially for the fighters and just the atmosphere. So this fight night is going to have a very, very special feel to it. I cannot wait to start from the very first fight, Luis Saldana and uh, Bruno Souza, all the way up to this heavyweight main event. All of it excites me. Some great stylistic fights littered throughout this entire card. And look, we are very, 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 very close to the card starting now. So I need to get to bed. I need to set my alarm so that I can be up bright and early for the first fight of UFC Columbus. As I said, I'm taking... Curtis Blades over Chris Dorcas in the main event by knockout. In the co-main event, Alexa Grasso by decision over Joanne Wood. And I've got Matt Brown, the hometown hero, getting the knockout over Brian Barbarena in the three marquee fights. I did think it was a bit unlucky that Askar Askarov and Kaikara France didn't get co-headliner duties. But look, Grasso and Wood are, are respectively, I guess, uh, actually they're not. They're not even. Askarov and Kaikara France are ranked higher. That's no disrespect to the women's flyweights either. I did think the men's flyweight fight could be a great co-liner. But look, the order so much doesn't really matter other than the main event. And they're all in my key positions, all in spotlight featured pres- uh, positions. positions. So nonetheless, the order doesn't really matter. I still think the women's flyweights are more than deserving of having that co-headliner status. And look, then Kaikara France and Askarov have been bumped down the card a little bit just because Matt Brown, they've decided to go with the hometown hero uh, in the biggest spot or the better spot. But look, as I said, the actual order of matchups don't matter really at all other than the main event. And as long as you're on the main card for this flyweight contest. But overall, it is going to be so much fun. I'm excited to see who can pick up the performance bonuses, especially after what happened in UFC London last weekend and the nine performance bonuses. And look, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye out for what is the fight of the night on this card. Ultimately, it is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. If you want to hear my thoughts and comments on the card, then as I said, on Sunday during the day at some point, I will be posting the thoughts and comments podcast going through the entire card. Shouldn't be too long either. We'll just give pretty quick thoughts and comments for the prelims and then get a little bit more into it for the main card. But look, I've done my predictions for the main card. It is now time for me to go to bed and get up. And it's like Christmas. I'm ready for this card. And yeah, Dana White, Slava Claus, Slava Borshev is going to be there. So it's starting to feel a lot like uh, Christmas. Dana White even giving out nine performance bonuses. Like what? What the fuck? You know, Dana White giving out money. Wow, I don't know. He's in good spirits. I'm in good spirits. Hopefully you're in good spirits. If you're not, well, hopefully UFC Columbus can just bring a little bit of entertainment to your day. And hopefully it was the same for this podcast. So look, I'm now going to hit bed. I'll be up bright and early for UFC Columbus. And until thoughts and comments tomorrow, take care of yourself. And if you're watching, enjoy the card.